by this point, you were uh, getting pretty well entrenched in doing those illustrated covers. Yeah, um, yeah. How did how did you guys decide on that, and and who did the artwork, and who decided what the theme would be? Well, Fred Lewis' brother was the one that did all the album covers. He was an artist, and he used to do uh, all of those things that you see outside of movie theaters, mm -hmm. the posters and stuff. That's what he did for a living. And he was Fred's brother. So he was crazy about us and he knew everybody. So we wanted him to draw our albums. We actually had to fight a couple of record companies for him, you know, because they wanted to use their artists, but their artists didn't know us. That's why our faces look so good because he knew us. So he did all of the albums as a God bless his soul. He just passed last year, but uh, he, uh, as a matter of fact, he was working on our last album when he passed, uh, where we were going to be fighter pilots. But, but he uh, he drew and it was based on whatever record was going to be our theme. Like when we did Rough Riders, well, we went to a cowboy town, had the horse, had the, the authentic look, you know, and we actually went there and played cowboys. We had fun playing cowboys, you know, we actually got into it. And so that made Rough Rider the theme record. And uh, after that, when we got ready to do Fantastic Voyage, the record company wanted us to be Rough Riders Rides again. And we was like, no, man, if we do that, we'll be stuck as cowboys forever. But we always wanted to change who we were every album because it made it kept it new and kept it interesting because wasn't nobody doing that i mean uh act they was always the same the gap band they was always the same nobody was trying that and the record company was scared because they thought that was risky but long as they knew it was lakeside we thought we could be anything we wanted to be so we was the group that took on changing every album and what happened was we would give him the idea and he would come up with a concept for us and we have all our faces right on the horses and everything. And then we would look at it and say, yeah. And, and we would take the picture on the inside. When you open it up, you see us in the little town, the cowboys. And then when you close it, you see the illustration of well, us. And on Solar Records allowed you to have gatefolds, which was nice. Right, right. That was nice. You don't see that anymore. And then when we came to Fantasy Voyage, that's when we ended up having a fight with the record company because it was like, no, you can't be no pirates. That's negative. And, you know, and so we was like, no, well, you know, don't worry about it. We're going to make it look positive. Just let us be the pirates. We had to really fight for that album. And uh, they were totally against it. And it was negative And it was going to hurt record sales. And we was like, well, I tell you what, we'll just be uh, Buccaneers. And Buccaneers sounded better, but Buccaneers were worse than Pirates. Okay. <laughs> In reality, but because of that lack of knowledge about it, the word sounded good. So, well, okay, we're going to go ahead and let you do it. And it was one of our biggest albums, even the concept. So yeah. what we did on that record, we went out and rented the ship like the Mayfair, you know, they got this ship in uh, 
in LA in the harbor that you can go out on and have dinner and stuff. Yeah. They still got it. You still can go out and have dinner on it. So we wanted the authentic ship. And we found the ship. And we had a film crew to go out with us. And it was so funny. Our whole film crew was white. So when we got to the ship, they were treating the film crew like they were the ones that was renting the boat for the day. And we was to help. And they had to let them know, no, these guys are the one, the reason why we're here. They're renting a boat, right? Then from that point on, it was all nice. Well, what do you guys need to drink? What do you need to eat? You know, we say, well, just give us some Grand Marnier and, you know, Cavazia, and we're going to sit in and have a great time. So what happened, we filmed all day. We took the ship out, and boats was passing by. I was, hey, you know, girls was passing by in bikinis and stuff. Hey, and we just sit there and took pictures all day long. Sounds like that could have been a good music video. Oh, it, you know what? It really could have been on that ship because all we did was just had a had a had a ball uh, taking pictures all day, and and some wonderful pictures came out of that photo shoot. You got a little blurry. Move up a little, Fred. Is that better? Yeah, I need the camera to adjust. Good. Okay. Uh, so what happened? We took pictures all day, and uh, he looked at the pictures that we took. And just start drawing the album cover. And we always had mascots, like some kind of dog, either little puppies or a bigger dog. But it was always going to be some kind of dog because it's, for some reason that just became our thing. You know, we always had a dog with us. And uh, he, he that's when he drew the little puppies. Yeah, that was a nice album cover, man. Wow. So let's talk about the track, Fantastic Voyage. You know, when how how deep were you into the into recording that record when you came upon that, and uh, how did it sort of like develop? Well, we had just got off of one of the Budweiser tours, so you know when you'd been playing thirty or forty shows, and you're down to the last show, and it's now time to go home and rehearse, and you was like, ah. You know, because you just on a roll, you know. So now it's time to record another album. And we got to work like we usually do, just start vibing together. And if we already had a song that we was thinking about or an idea, we would rehearse it and develop it. So what happened with Fantasy Voyage, Fantasy Voyage was actually like two different songs. Mm -hmm. You know, like the beginning of Come Along and Ride on a Fan. That was one section that we just want you to be. That was another section, which was another song. So what happened, neither one of them really rocked by themselves. So we put them together and the magic started happening with that track. And once we put everything together, the rest of the stuff just came out of the air. You know, the verses, uh, the hook come along. And it just was perfect, but it took putting those two grooves together to make that song happen. Were you guys influenced at all by like, uh, you know, Rapper's Delight or any of the rap that was coming out right then in terms of uh, We knew about them, but we wasn't really thinking about it. We just wanted to make what we called a choral rap, a rap in harmony. Like we had four part harmony with the rap. 
because nobody else was doing it. We was always trying to do stuff nobody else was doing. So nobody else was doing that. So we was going to rap uh, in harmony and use the two basses, like the regular bass guitar and the synthesizer bass. Because nobody was playing two basses in their songs but us. Even on uh, Shout of Love out from Shout of Love out on, that was just our thing because that's what we had in the group. We had a synthesized bass player and a real bass player. And the synthesized bass player also played the percussions and the kungas and all that. So we just utilized what was in the group and we made it work on our records that we made. So that one really stood out, the two bases, because you see what I'm saying? So you saw the change in the two. Uh, and that's how that song really came about. We didn't know that song was going to be a hit. We just knew that we loved what we had and what we had put together. And it was time to go in the studio and record it. And then once we got in the studio, you still tweak things, you know what I'm saying? But uh, when we got in the studio, it pretty much went the way it was in rehearsal. And of course, that song went to number one, baby. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I can remember Casey Kasem came on and Fantastic Voyage, I think it was at number 10 that week. And then the next week it went to number seven. And so I just thought it was gonna move up a couple of more points because 10, it was three points up to seven. So I figured it'd move three or four more points. It went from number seven, the ne very next week, it went from number seven to number one. Hmm. Number two that's, was- that's a huge leap. It jumped from number seven to number one. And number two was Michael Jackson. Number three was Aretha Franklin. And we, and, and we changed places with Stevie Wonder. He was number two, and we we changed. He went to number seven. We went to number one, and Michael Jackson went to number two. So, so a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, just to show you, I was amazed that we was in front of Aretha Franklin, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, and they were hot. I mean, their records was hot, but Fantastic Voyage, and, and you know, it's so funny too, because Fantastic Voice never really had a lot of promotion behind it. It was more like the people's record. That record did most of what it did by itself, just from people knowing about the record. Cause you didn't see it blurred everywhere. Fantastic Voice. No, it didn't get that. Because the record company didn't know what we had. They didn't know the record was that big. So they did, as a matter of fact, the record was big before they even did the video. They had to catch up. It was funny. And they were scrambling around trying to catch up because they couldn't believe the record went to number one. It must have been uh, amazing to start performing that live at your shows once it became um, People must have been losing their minds. Oh, it's still right today. We just did Houston Friday. And when we got the Fantastic Voice, people just lost their minds. They just was up. <laughs> going crazy and it's so funny we did uh, a thing for united negro college front which was a ballroom setting so all of them had their tuxes and they were doing presentations and you know they were real kind of bougie uppity you know what i'm saying and when we started playing you know they were still sitting there like you know 
And then we went into Ray, and they kind of moved a little bit more. <laughs> and then we went into It's All The Way Live, and they got a little bit more into it. And these was audience, we're used to doing audiences where you got to go take the audience. You don't expect the audience to just rise because of your record. You got to go take them with your performance. You got to go get them. And we was always that kind of band. We're going to come get you. Don't worry, we're coming. Resistance and is so, futile. Huh? Resistance is futile. It's futile. We're going to get you. Yeah. So by the time we got to Your Love is on the One, we went out and made them do a Soul Train dance, made them do a Soul Train line. Now imagine all these people in their long dresses and their tuxes in a Soul Train line. Coming down the Soul Train line, one guy was doing the snake on the floor in his tux. The other guy was doing uh, break dancing and then posing <laughs> in his tuxedo. I couldn't believe it. Now they were loose. So by, the time we got the, by the time we got the voyage, oh man, them ladies were coming out of stuff and guys was coming out. Of, I mean, we had them. By the time we got the voyage, they were through. And this was one of the hardest crowds to please. Wow. But we, we got them. Yeah. I got one point I wanted to make to viewers is that when you said Fantastic Voyage leaping from seven to one, that kind of thing hardly ever happened back then because that was before the uh, sound scan. You yeah. Know, they didn't really. like use that process. So when sound scan came in, that would kind of happen a lot. But back then, things moved rather slowly up the chart. Yeah, so that was yeah they did. It was like one one step at a time or two steps at a time. But when that record jumped from seven to one, I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. Yeah. And and it, it, that's all they talked about on TV was Fantastic Voice. You know, these songs we've been talking about are such classic funk songs. And obviously, Fred, you're big in the funk after your jazz, uh, you know, training or getting into jazz. But, you know, when I saw Steve uh, Shockley interview, I think it was on the uh, Funk Center interview, he talked about, you know, back in the day in Chicago and, and all that, the way they yeah. came up, they weren't really that into funk and they didn't think they were going to be a funk group. So how, it's interesting how that sort of uh, evolved, you know? Well, we didn't really put a name on it. We just kind of ended up playing and writing the ingredients that was in the group. Because that's all we had. We didn't do no outside stuff. So we counted on what's in the group, the best that we got in this group, what can we do as a group to have good songs? And let them call it whatever they want to call it. We just wanted to be stinky, nasty, funky, that you can't help yourself kind of music. Mm -hmm. When you heard that, or when you heard something like that, you had to, we wanted to make you feel the records where you could just close your eyes and imagine being there and just feeling the record. Our whole thing was about records. It's, it's a feeling thing. And if you do it right, you can make a person feel this record from the beginning to the end. So that was always our concept. And we never believed in, back then people used to do fillers. We never believed in fillers. We wanted every record to be number one. So we approached every record like that. 
you know, where we want every record to be a hit record. And when we got Fantastic Voice, it's funny how we didn't even know we had it. We just knew that we liked the record and we felt like somebody else was going to like the record. And that's how that came about. Did, did you guys uh, approach the albums sort of with any kind of formula where you'd say, okay, we want four danceable tracks, we want, you know, two ballads, or did you approach them that way or was it just wide open? Well, no, because what happened, another record would knock another record out. So we just wrote the songs and kind of let the songs dictate where they was going to be in the album and what was going to be on the album because we was trying to tell a story. And we always wrote the records as a story. So we always wanted to present the album as a story. So we tried to tell a story. And the song would kind of dictate what's going to happen. It's so funny how if you let a song go, it'll dictate where it's supposed to go. So what happened, say like on the Fantasy Voyage album, Your Love is on the One. Well, we're, we're talking about ladies. We always talked about women, you know, that was our thing. Fantastic Voyage was, come go on, on this journey with us. Say Yes was again about a lady that had everything, but she just didn't have no man. And she didn't trust nobody until this guy came along and put something on her mind like the opening lyrics, even now when it seems, you have almost everything. You still get lonely, girl. Don't you get lonely at night. But the worst of it at all, every time I give you a call, you still resist me. When all I want to do is to give all I can give so that we can live in ecstasy, just you and I in love. If you say yes, we'll sail the stars. So, you know, we want to be our poet. Say yes, you know, poetic and you know, and romantic and 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 it was funny for a group like us that people only associated us with fun. We had some great ballads. Oh, you had like that sort of doo-wop and crooning influence and with the soul. Yeah, because we started off what what it was the concept of Lakeside was gonna be a band and a singing group mixed. And then it ended up being a band. That just, uh oh, I'm sorry. It ended up being a band that just had guys that, a band that could sing good. And we always believed in being able to sing as well as we could play. That was our concept. And we figured if we approached it that way, we would get the best out of the band. And I think that's what made us a band that, cause some bands can't sing good. They can play good but they didn't have no good singers and stuff like that. Or, or, they, only we had, sound, or they only sound good in the studio, but not live. <clears throat> right. So we had Otis singing and, and Tommy singing and, and, you know, we had more than one lead singer. And what we would try to do is design the, the record for the singer. Like if we hear, like Say Yes, well, Say Yes was going to be two guys in it singing, you know, a first tenor and baritone. So when it got to the pretty part, the first tenor, then when it got to the, to the verse, the baritone. So you see what I'm saying? And we kind of looked at it like that where the song would be fitted on them like a suit. And instead of just writing the song and you saying it, well, your voice might not sound good with this particular record, or your voice might be the wrong key for this record. So we looked at all of those things that made uh, 
determine who was going to sing the song. And what happened with uh, uh, the Fantastic Voyage album, uh, Real Love, Say Yes, uh, Your Love's On The One, Something About That Woman. I mean, we got all these, and, and we was experiencing that. I mean, you, especially in LA, you'd be like, man, something about that woman. You see how fine she was. There she goes again. I mean, this is this is stuff we we was experiencing every day. So we just wrote the stories that we were living, basically. Well, I got to say, you know, you guys were so original um, for that period. You know, the, the look with the covers, the the stage costumes. I think you know those covers were as unique as like Funkadelics were with Pedro Bell or the Ohio Players with the ones that yeah. they did. They were very um, iconic and. Um, and then the sound too, you know, you guys kept true to your sound. It was a unique sound and you didn't really bend so much to the whims of, you know, the end of disco or, or, or watered down R and B that they were trying to propagate yeah, uh, with yeah. the electronic drums. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, so kudos and respect, you know, all the way. Oh, thank you, man. You know, and it's so funny. It wasn't really that hard because, we didn't let the radio determine what we were going to be. We just wrote the songs. And we felt like a good song would stand on its own. A good song would be around no matter what era it's in, no matter what else is happening. If you write a good song that touched people, it could be anything. But if it's a good song and it touched people, I don't care what else is out. They will jump on that song. So that was always our belief. Let the let the song determine what's gonna happen. Just write a good song. Write a good story. Write a good song. Good music, and let the rest take its course. You know. That's how you build, also, in my opinion, a really loyal core following. Oh yeah, we and 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 we've always been true to our fans. We've always let our fans know how much we appreciate them, how much we love them. Because we realized long time ago, if it wasn't for our fans, we wouldn't be nothing. And so we're constantly letting them know that if I'm out and somebody says something they want an autograph, I've never ever turned anybody down for autograph. I don't care what I'm doing because they could not even want your autograph. So it's still amazing to me today that somebody would want my signature. You know what I'm saying? Right today, it still amazes me. I was out, I took my mom a few minutes ago to the dentist. And when we left the dentist, I had a taste for some barbecue. So my friend told me about a barbecue place and I went around to the barbecue place and the guy found out I was in Lakeside. The owner just lost it. He came around, he started singing all the songs. He said, oh man, I know everything y'all have ever done. Real love, uh, something about that woman. Uh, I mean, he had so many that was uh uh giving in the love he did da 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 you doing all the music and stuff right there talking to me i say yeah you know the song and that stuff still amazes me and my girl she said fred you don't realize you guys really touch people you know around everybody you just fred to you he said but then to some people they go crazy just to know they're actually talking to you. And it was so funny when I was, we did a show in Africa and the brother came up to me and said, oh, my brother, 
I can't believe it. All my friends, they treat me better just because I know you. And he was all dramatic and stuff. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and all these people was treating him better just because he knew me and got had met me and was hanging out with us and stuff at the beach, you know, because we were exchanging t-shirts for all kinds of stuff, you know, and brother would say, oh, 10 Nighter. I said, that's all right. I'm gonna go to your friends. No, my brother, come back, come back. We do it for eighth nighter. And, <laughs> and they just love the art of dealing. So it was so funny to see the reaction still today of people when I meet them that have never met me. They'd be like, no, uh-uh. No, you, uh-uh. I say, yeah, I'm the drum. No, you know, what's your name? I say, Fred Alexander. Yeah, you are him. You, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it still amazes me, man. After 40 years, you know what I'm saying? But I love it and we love our fans. And I'm just glad that God has blessed us to still be here and have blessed us to have fans that we really have done something to touch them. I feel like we've done our job. If we get that reaction, you write a record and you want this reaction and you actually get that reaction, then I think we've done done the job, you know? Wow. But I love them, man. I love, we got wow. the best fans. They're loyal, you know? Uh, wow. we, I, I, I just give you a quick story. Uh, Friday night in Houston, my girlfriend, her grandsons mm -hmm. and her son, and his wife, they came to the show. And the grandsons is like, one's in college, one's in high school. So, you know, they were looking at all the people, how people were all dressed up and dressing. And they were tripping on their mom, how she jumped up when voice came and she was losing it. And they looking at everybody and they going, wow, these guys can really play. And see, we don't use no, no, no pre-recorded nothing. We play our songs because we're the same guys that recorded them. So we always felt like if you can't play your own stuff, you don't need to be out there. And so we play and sing our own stuff and we play and sing them like the record. You know, we don't have, I mean, a lot of groups, they'll have a recording of their vocals to go along when, they, when, they're, when they're singing and stuff or, or they'll have a, have it on uh, on tape and stuff, you know, or, or CD or something going with this stuff. We don't do that. What you see is what you get. There is no substitute, no substitute at all. No. Um, definitely want to ask you about a couple more of these records, Fred, because there's some great ones here that we didn't talk about yet. Um, you came back with, um, I mean, there. I guess there was a um, label obligation that put out this Keep On Moving Ahead record, which wasn't really a legitimate Lakeside record at that time, right? Which one was it? Keep on moving straight ahead. That wasn't truly the successor to Fantastic Voyage, right? Right, and that was a great record because when we went to Africa, that was like the national anthem. I mean, we could not play a show without playing Keep on Moving Straight Ahead because their country had just changed over. And they was like, keep on moving. They went crazy for that song. They just lost it. And I always liked that song because it kind of had, I kind of put a marching beat in there, you know, cause I was in the, I was in every band you could be in in school, marching band, a stage band, concert band. I was just band guy. 
I just lived in the band room. I didn't want to do nothing but just being, if I wasn't in class, I was in the band room. That's all I did. So I did this little old thing, uh, a little marching thing on keep on moving straight ahead because the message felt like we was just marching forward. Just keep on moving, just keep on moving straight ahead. And they latched on to this record in Africa, man, like you couldn't believe. But that was during the time of a transition that we didn't want to see happen. Cause everything was going great. We like, don't, don't fix it if nothing is wrong. And what happened, Dick wanted to go to, God, I can't think of the name of the record company. It wasn't Island Records, but it was another big record company that was offering him a lot of money. You know, everything was always about money. So they was offering him a lot of money to leave RCA and go over there. We wanted to leave Solar and stay with RCA. That's how bad, that's how good RCA was. They was moving our records. Our records was out there quick. Soon as you put the record out, it was out there. I mean, they just did everything right. That was the best uh, distributor we ever had. I mean, Solar never should have left them because they only had two or three black companies. They had a company, one of the companies, I think it was Bear, that had Evelyn Champagne King and maybe one other one. So it was two or three of small companies like that at RCA and, and RCA did us good. They treated us well. And then, and we didn't know nothing about this other company and they didn't know nothing about funk. I mean, RCA had the funk thing down and we had to, RCA wanted to fight for us, but we had to go because our contract was with Dick Griffey. We were sad when that happened. And so what happened, we still owed RCA a record. So we did keep on moving straight ahead. And then we did uh, the record for this other company. Uh, that's when we was the genies. Your wish is my command. Your wish is my command. And that's when we, and see, your wish is my command was really supposed to be at RCA because we was working on two albums at the same time. Oh. But RCA wanted to keep on moving straight ahead. And they wasn't going to release the record until after Your Wish Is Mine came in came out because we was going to a new company. But because of the feud and stuff, they released Keep On Moving Straight Ahead maybe a couple of months before Your Wish Is Mine Command came out. So it totally confused our fans. Some bought Your Wish, some bought Keep On Moving Straight Ahead, and none of them bought both of them. You know, because they was pissed. So it really kind of hurt us. You know, we could have sold, I think we sold about maybe 800,000 records between the two, where that, that could have been 800,000 on one record instead of just splitting it 400,000 sales over here, 400,000 sales over here, you know? Especially too bad Maybe. after the Fantastic Voyage momentum. Yeah, after Fantastic Voyage momentum, and then you do something like that, the next record was going to be gone because both of those records was good. Your Wish Is My Command and Keep On Moving Straight Ahead because it was supposed to be a throwaway album, but we didn't believe in throwaway albums. We believed in good songs. So we loaded both albums up, you know, 
And because we was uh, jockeys at racing, that's where the keep on moving straight ahead concept came about. And then with the genius, your wish is my command. So we was always trying to be original and we didn't want to write a bunch of ugly songs for the other album because it was a throwaway album because that was our reputation on the line. And we always wrote good songs, so we weren't going to stop now. And I think that's what kind of helped us in an ugly situation is that both albums had good songs. On um, Keep On Moving Straight Ahead, do you remember the track Back Together Again? Yeah. Yeah, to me that had a fantastic voice kind of vibe to it. It did. It did kind of have that. Uh, uh, we Town Theory almost had the concept too because that one was about you know the fast-paced la and you know wow i'm in la and that kind of thing you know uh uh it was just how the city could eat you up <laughs> you know spit you out eat you up and spit you out how, how how did you guys decide to do that beatles cover and were you were you expecting it to be that big of a hit no man we was we was joking <laughs> i mean we was in you know you you had rehearsal and you're working on new songs and you take a break and all right let's go get something to eat and then you come back and you're sitting around and Otis started playing it on the guitar and he started playing the fast version and we was like man what if we slow that down and he slowed it down and it just got soulful and funky. And we just start working on it. Right there at rehearsal, we just start working on it. Because it was fun to take that record and slow it down. And how funky the record is. Plus, the lyrics are amazing. But they went over everybody's heads, the fast version. We just felt like people didn't really understand that record based on the arrangement. But when you slowed it down, you got a chance to see the words that John Lennon wrote and 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 what a good songwriter he was that when we slowed it down we put the little intro and we didn't change nothing as far as the chords or the actual arrangement of the song we didn't change anything we just slowed it down and put that little thing dun, 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 dun. well that's actually in the record but it's just fast we just slowed it down. We didn't actually name it. I want the viewers to know we're talking about I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah, that was I Want to Hold Your Hand. And uh, it was just a song, man, that we enjoyed slowing that song down. I mean, it's so funny. People thought we put the record out. A lot of people don't even realize it's a Beatles record, you know? Yeah. And we even, I think it was one of them. It wasn't Lenny, it was uh, the other one uh, that plays in the Beatles. Um, McCartney? Yeah, they, they sent us a note saying how much they love the record. But we got a lot of hate mail, man, from people that hated that we did that to the record, you know? I mean, true Beatles fans that love the original version, man, they, they hated we slowed that record down. But it's amazing how that song sounded slowed down. You, you can tell it's the original song but it gave it a whole nother vibe slowing it down and making it a slow record. And right today when we play it, 
a concert, people want to hear I Want to Hold Your Hand. If they don't hear no other ballad, they want to hear I Want to Hold Your Hand. Well, 